Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty back together again. Like most of you, I learned that nursery rhyme when I was a child. And honestly, even as a kid, I can remember thinking to myself, what's the point of that? Decades later, when I heard my own daughter recite it, I said it again, what's the point of that? According to Wikipedia, no one really knows what the point is, but there's all kinds of theories out there. Humpty Dumpty was a children's game. Humpty Dumpty was an English cannon that fell off a wall. Humpty Dumpty was the name of a drink which included boiled ale and brandy. Humpty Dumpty was a clumsy person on a rickety bar stool who drank too much boiled ale and brandy. So no one really knows. However, what we do know is this rhyme has been around since 1797. So having thought about it over the last week, I have come to the conclusion that Humpty Dumpty is wisdom literature. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. Translation, every now and then, life, your life, and mine falls apart. Our relationships, our employment, our health, our wealth. Or all of the above happening all at once via a global pandemic, which in its wake has caused a lot of people's religion to fall apart. The wise person accepts this. They stay with it. And that, I believe, is what the story of Job is all about. Job is classified as wisdom literature. It was written 1,300 years before Humpty Dumpty. It is the most personally challenging book in the entire Bible. So let's take a closer look. When the curtain opens up, Job is one happy man. He has a huge estate, a beautiful family. He is also deeply religious. In fact, the very first thing the Bible says about Job is as follows. Job was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from all evil. So Job was a very devout man, and he was thankful for everything that he had. He praised God constantly. And then one day it happened, suddenly all that changed. Through no fault of his own, Job's life suddenly fell apart. I'm reminded of a classic little book by Pema Chedron. She titled it, When Things Fall Apart. She was the first Western woman to take Buddhist monastic vows. So with honesty and humor, she writes about the day that her life fell apart. I remember so vividly a day in early spring when my whole reality gave out on me. It was a genuine spiritual experience. We lived in northern New Mexico. I was standing in front of my adobe house drinking a cup of tea. I heard the car drive up and the door bang shut. It was my husband. He walked around the corner and without warning, he told me that he was having an affair and that he wanted a divorce. She recalls. I remember the sky, how huge it was. I remember the sound of the river and the steam rising up from my cup. There was no time, no thought. There was nothing, just the light and a profound, limited stillness. And my favorite part... Then I regrouped, picked up a stone, and threw it at him. 
she continues with this very wise observation. The truth is, he saved my life that day. When that marriage fell apart, I tried hard, very hard, to get back to some kind of comfort, some kind of security, some kind of familiar place. But I couldn't pull it off. I tried to get back to some kind of familiar place, but I couldn't pull it off. That's the first step to stay with it. When life falls apart, we need to accept the fact that we can't always go back to the way that it was. Shadron put it like this. To stay with the shakiness, to stay with the broken heart, with a rumbling stomach, with a feeling of hopelessness, this is the first step to a new beginning. That is why Alcoholics Anonymous is so successful. The first thing they do is stand up and say, my life has fallen apart and I am powerless on my own to put it back to where it was. But that's not all. What they do next and what we should do next is a matter of spiritual life and death. Franciscan priest Richard Rohr offered the following image, and I have to tell you, this is one of the most powerful things that I have heard in the last decade of my life, because it makes so much sense. Imagine your life as a series of three boxes. The first box is order. The second box is disorder. And the third box is reorder. We all want order in our lives. Order is what makes us happy and makes us feel secure. However, sooner or later, we all experience disorder, that moment when life suddenly falls apart. And when this happens, the human impulse is to return to order, to the way things used to be. But it doesn't work. Rather, we need to move forward to reorder. That's the key. We need to move forward to reorder. The more we try to return to a previous order, the more sad and unhappy and frustrated we become. And sometimes the reordering that we do is not something we actually do. Rather, it is a reordering of our minds. Case in point. A few months ago, U.S. Poet Laureate Ada Lamont read her poem, Joint Custody, on Krista Tippett's podcast in front of a thousand people. It is a masterpiece. When she finished reading the poem, she said the following to all those people. After my parents' divorce, people kept saying to me, oh, you come from a broken home. Oh, you poor thing, you come from a broken home. And as a teenager, I remember honestly thinking, it's not broken. It's just bigger. Now I get four parents who come to my school place. So for me personally, it was not the experience of brokenness so much, rather as it was the experience of a kind of abundance. That reframing, that reordering was very important to my future happiness. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. The human temptation is to go from disorder back to idealized order to the way things used to be. And I would suggest to you this morning that that is happening right now nationally and internationally. When it comes to science and education and free choice, 
And it is mostly women all over the world who are paying the price. The human temptation when there is disorder or fear of losing power is to go back to an idealized order of the past. The way things used to be when men, mostly white men, ruled the roost. And finally, I would suggest to you this morning, it happens way too often with religion as well. In the words of our classic old hymn, give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. It was good enough for Paul and Peter, and it's good enough for me. I object. I believe good enough is no longer enough. Rather, the key to religious transformation is to move from disorder caused by the pandemic to reorder, from old-time religion to new-time religion. The Hartford Institute just released a study about the state of post-pandemic church attendance all over the country. And sadly, every denomination is continuing to decline, even after the pandemic has lightened up. They offered some very important words. What happened in the pandemic is that all of us were huddling in the church basement while a tornado was going over our heads. Now we've all come out of that basement and everything is completely different. Now we must be intentionally creative, they wrote. And then they said this, the focus should no longer be how do we recreate what we used to have? How do we go back to normal? Rather, the focus should be how can we become a better church? And that's what Jesus meant in our first reading when he said, let the dead bury the dead. He was not saying let dead people bury dead people. That makes no sense. Rather, he was talking about the spiritually dead, the ones who were always looking back instead of going forward, always making up excuses not to go forward. Religious people and institutions that do not lean forward and trust that the Spirit is begging them to think anew and to reorder. And that's the only way that churches are going to survive going forward. So I invite all of you to think about it in the context of our church in the next few days. In the post-pandemic world, how can Center Church once again become a beacon of hope to the city of New Haven and the world? How do maybe we should host a citywide keynote speaker series, bring in some famous people like Krista Tippett, maybe in the format of a TED Talk? Or maybe we need to initiate a much-needed mission project in the city. Or on days like this, when the city, in all of its infinite wisdom and disrespect for the church, when they have a parade on Sunday morning, maybe we do something different. Maybe we have our service Saturday evening before, followed by a lavish potluck. Seriously. Maybe we should have our own parade, an ecumenical one that runs down this street when there's a big keynote speaker at the city. You can tell I'm a little hot under the collar about this two weeks in a row. <laughs> but it's true. Let's think and do then. So let's have service at 5 o'clock on Saturday. Let's have a potluck with some wine. Let's chill, and let's not be here on Sunday morning. Let's do something radical. In what ways can we reorder the church that founded this town? How can we make it inspiring again? So in closing, I want to return quickly back to the book of Job. Job 
And honestly, I have to tell you, I was never satisfied with the ending of this story. The entire 25 years I've been a minister, it made no sense to me, the ending of this story. And nobody in divinity school could tell me anything either about it. It honestly sounded like God was avoiding the questions, that God was changing the subject because God couldn't answer it. After Job's entire life had fallen apart, his personal, social, and religious life, God answers Job out of the whirlwind, that is, out of nature. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when the morning stars sang together? Where were you when I created the land and the sea? All nature imagery. So what do you think? What does a sea have to do with Job's life falling apart? I questioned that for many years. And then one day I got the answer. It was just after a hurricane swept up the East Coast and left a path of destruction for hundreds of miles. And I was walking along the beach near our home in Rhode Island, a beach that has three very large rock formations about 100 yards offshore. The sea was still very rough, 30-foot waves. And these huge waves were crashing into those big rock formations, and they were falling apart. And that's when I saw it. In that moment, I understood Job's answer to God. I had heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now I see you. Time and a time again, I watched as those huge waves, all perfectly formed, crashed into those rocks and they fell apart. They fell apart like that one who had just lost a loved one. They shattered like that one who had just heard the diagnosis. They broke in half like the couple who had just separated. But it did not end there. I kept watching. I stayed with the disorganization and the disorder. And I noticed that those waves began to regroup. I saw them come together. I saw them rise up into something new and beautiful and keep right on going. I had heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Pima Shadron put it beautifully. Here's the truth about life. Things don't really get solved. Rather, they come together and they fall apart. They come together again and they fall apart again. It's just like that. That's life. The healing comes from letting there be room for all of this to happen. Room for grief. Room for relief. For misery. And yes, for joy.
Thank you. 